You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to another episode of Half Hour with Jeff and Richie, the podcast where we dive deep into the shows that we see. This week, we are discussing the new off-Broadway musical, The Gardens of Anantia. Are you curious about the thoughts of the life of Graziella Danielle and her Argentinian roots? Then stick with us for the next 30 minutes. I'm Jeff, a music industry producer and manager. And I'm Richie, a theater director and producer. Let's step into the Gardens of Anuncia. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Half hour. Welcome to today's show, everyone. As always, we want to remind our listeners that there will be some spoilers in our discussion about the show in this episode. So if you're planning to watch the musical and you don't want any surprises ruined, feel free to check out the show first and then come back to this episode. You have been warned. Today we're diving into the lush, tango-infused world of the Gardens of Anuncia. I'm just going to give you a little bit of background on this before mm-hmm. we kind of dive into our thoughts. The musical is a biographical exploration of the life of Graciela Danielle, an iconic Broadway choreographer and director, and her upbringing in 1940s Buenos Aires under the Perón regime. Penned by her longtime collaborator, Michael John Lacusa, the Gardens of Anuncia is a heartfelt tribute to the family of women who love and sacrifices paved the way for Danielle to become the creative force that she is today. The show is currently playing at the Mitzi E. Newhouse Theater at Lincoln Center, and we just want to remind our audience that this is an off-Broadway new musical playing at the off-Broadway space at Lincoln Center. It is very cool that they have a Broadway space and an off-Broadway space. And this is playing until December 31st, 2023, I believe. I'm not sure what the future of this would be. Um, if it goes to Broadway, if it goes to licensing, I do know that they're getting a cast recording, which is wonderful to hear because I... Uh, what I'll talk about shortly is my favorite parts of the show, which was the score for sure. <laughs> but but we're going to dive a little bit into the plot here a little bit for first and just our overall thoughts. So Jeff, how do you think the narrative unfolded here in the plot? What were some standout moments for you and what were your thoughts on the gardens of Anuncia as a whole? Hmm, so many thoughts right off the bat. I, in terms of the narrative and how it unfolded in this show, I think that it was a nice like homage to her family and these women that did bring her up. And it was really very... So Priscilla Lopez plays um, Graziella in this piece. And right off the bat, I'm thinking to myself, this is her. Mm-hmm. I I literally had to say to myself, wait, I feel like I'm watching her story, which was great because I feel like she fully embodied that character and went straight into it. But in terms of the narrative, I, I really liked seeing this kind of period-esque piece on putting yourself in what it was like in Argentina during that time. And then how did people go from this Perón regime to where were they going to go next in life? Because it seemed like a very difficult time living there. And it was nice to kind of watch that. I think to comment on some of the things you're saying, first, I think... Priscilla Lopez playing Graciela Danielle is an homage to the writing of this piece, as well as Priscilla Lopez's portrayal of her. 
So if you're sitting there saying, oh, yeah, like I really thought that was her. Well, that's good acting and good writing. Of course. Um, I also think it's interesting that we do focus a lot on that. This is I love we always talk about how so many shows will just say this is the life of blank and we know their whole life. And instead, I like that the setup of this was I'm in my garden. I'm supposed to I'm this is older Graciela Danielle. I'm trying I'm supposed to go to a Lifetime Achievement Award event later (laughs) in the day, but I don't want to leave my garden. I just want to be in my garden. And let me reflect back on my life, not my whole life, just my upbringing as my, in my youth. And I like that we focus most of the show on that. And I think that was a really, really strong plot point instead of let's tell Graciela Danielle's life. Well, I like that. I like that too, because we always talk about these kind of like timeline pieces or biopic pieces. And are we going to take a moment and develop that or are we just gonna do like the wikipedia telling of someone's life and obviously like she wrote this piece so she's writing it from her heart which is great and i think that's even something better to be adding to some of these biopic things in the future but to say okay i'm getting this award and how did i get to this point in my life to get the award is so great i think totally and i also think that there's a there's a Nice comedy to it, too. Like, she doesn't want to go, but she's not being a diva about it. I also love the interweaving of her character in the flashbacks and how she is in most scenes present when her younger self is present. It's like a narrator becomes a ghostly, angelic presence. And I love how she's doing the movements and orchestrating her life story. And then we go back to the modern day again so seamlessly. And I I think that's really nice. And also, when you mentioned earlier the Perón regime... One thing that I really liked was we've seen a big musical like Evita that tells of the Perón regime and the pros and cons of that. This was almost like a, oh, this is a difficult time and we need to kind of get out of here. And sometimes Evita glorifies the Perón regime a little bit. And it would be interesting, similar to the uh, Here Lies Love, Amel DeMarcos you know, we struggled with this and let's tell our side of the story because maybe the world thought one thing and we experienced another. And I think that it's important that we saw this in the Gardens of Venezia, how difficult life was for them. Now, in, yeah. Now, do you feel that Graciel Danielle is trying to show the other perspective in this piece, not just it being about, oh, let me give you a, a moment of my life and the things that I went through. But like, we've seen Evita for so many years, and we know that story, but how often do we hear the other side? Sure. And I think at the end of the day, it wasn't a political piece per se, even though there was political elements to it. It was about love and family and respect and how these women raised her and how it took a family of strong women. Yes, there were male pr- presence, and there was male... But, but it was actually interesting to see the absence of male presence as well. And how she really wanted to make it clear in her life story that it was the women in her life that got her to where she is today. Let alone the fact that she is one of the most strong and powerful women in theater as mm-hmm. a director choreographer at a time where most were men. So I think that kind of tied back to her roots and she kind of brought that full picture. Right. You know, but if, but I feel like it would be an interesting conversation to have with her, though, on is their intent with this piece being out there for the Broadway community that has loved a piece about Ava Peron for so long and it's done all the time that now this is kind of like almost a response piece? Maybe. 
Maybe, maybe, yeah. And also, it's also, you know, I don't, I don't look at it too heavy because I think the piece was light. And I remember leaving this whole show and saying, this is light theater. And I don't mean that with any disrespect. This is really refreshing. It yeah. wasn't beat me over the head with the message. It wasn't jukebox musical. It was, I want to tell this gardens themed story. And I loved how she would talk about what was growing in her garden. We were her garden. It was a semi thrust. And we'll talk a little about this in the direction too, but there was a refreshing lightness that we were like, yes, this is heavy political. Yes. This is heavy f- absent family. Yeah. There is some difficulty here, but it was really light. And I left there just feeling really refreshed but into a new story. And let's kind of go into that because I feel like we can talk about the theme of the garden. And where do you feel like that really fits in this piece? Well, we have Priscilla Lopez, Broadway icon, mm-hmm. playing Graciela Danielle, who is a Broadway icon. You know, some people don't realize Gra- Graciela Danielle is 10-time Tony nominee. Amazing. We're talking about Once on This Island. We're talking about a ragtime. We're talking about The Rink with Liza Minnelli and Cheetah Rivera. We're talking about iconic shows that this woman has choreographed or directed or both. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't realize how big her life was. She worked with these big stars for many years. For her to be able to work with Michael John Lacusa now and tell this story and have Lincoln Center supporting that, what a way to come towards the end of your career. I'm not saying she's at the end of her career, but what, what a way to tell your life story in this refreshing way. This didn't need to be commercial, big Broadway. This also didn't need to be like small 20 seat black box downtown. It was in this, like a very, I thought appropriate space. And it's my first time in that space. And I loved it. It was one of my favorite off-Broadway spaces I was ever in. Yeah. Because it's an amazing space. Um, But yes, I thought Priscilla Lopez was great. There's so many other wonderful performances in this too. Priscilla Mm -hmm. Lopez was a strength for me. Because I know Priscilla Lopez telling her own story in Chorus Line when all those stories are their real stories. That's what's the cool part here is now you're telling someone else's real story. Everything's real here. Right. And I liked that. You know, I did really like that. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Yeah, I thought her portrayal was amazing too to watch her like i said earlier i feel like i was watching her fully take on the role of graziella danielle in this and it was just like round of applause come on just watching her up there effortless just effortless and and while there were some newcomers there were also some broadway star names of people if you've seen a lot of broadway shows you've recognized some of these people we had Eden Espinosa, Andrea Burns, Mary Testa. Those three alone are just like you've if you've seen a broadway show in the last 20 years you've seen them in it, right? Um Kaylin West, newcomer, Tally Sessions, Enrique Acevedo uh, rounding out the cast. To me, I didn't think there was any weak moment. Do I think that some cast members sang better than acted or acted better than sang? Sure, that comes with the territory, right? Um, there was also some wonderful dance moments throughout this piece too. But mm-hmm. I did feel like I was watching an ensemble piece and I did feel like I was watching six people really working together, seven people really working together mm-hmm. in an ensemble way without 40 other ensemble members, if that makes sense. Totally. What did you? Who were some standout performances for you in this in this performance? 
easily i was really connected to mary testa right off the bat i love her we know this i've loved i loved seeing her in oklahoma revival one of my favorite performances in the show and i uh, really andrea burns as well her vocals are just beautiful oh yeah beautiful oh yeah soaring vocals from andrea burns i feel like she's just got this wonderful upper register her songs float and mm-hmm. even Mary's comedic songs, which are a little more rooted, they are funny. I thought Eden had some really nice moments. She was singing some really difficult vocals. I know she's going to have a big role coming up in La Pica on Broadway this season. And so she's deaf. I mean, she's an alphabet. She's done a million wonderful things. But she had some difficult music to sing, too. And she really got a good grasp, grasp on it overall. They all had very different songs, I thought, yeah. to sing. And so they were all singing what they sing. It was tough. It was fu- tough. And fun fact about Eden. Eden was my alphabet when I saw Wicked. Okay, there we go. That's cool to see. <laughs> that, all these it years later. it is a little bit of a fun fact, right? Yeah. What do, also, you, what do you feel like it, with the characters, though? Kind of thinking about this, did you feel like they fully took on the family dynamic that Graziella was? going for totally i felt so much love throughout this family that song um is and me and they were singing about their aunts and their family i was like this is musical theater introduce a family three very different women all doing very different things in their life raising her and caitlin west was very impressive as the daughter i was so connected to her well she's playing young yeah so You know, really, there, really there nice. has to be the connect between the two. And it, it took a moment for a little bit to make you realize, going back to a kind of plot and theme here, that this was more of a memory piece um, in the beginning. So, like, we're talking about this, and I had to kind of suspend that for myself. Like, oh, she's remembering what happened and how we got to certain places in her life. Totally. And not to mention then we had, you know, when you have Enrique Acevedo playing a few characters, the grandfather, mm-hmm. and that was a nice moment for him. I did love Tally Sessions because, first of all, I think Tally sings so well. Mm-hmm. I just love his voice. And the deer thing? I don't know. I just thought that was cool. Like, it was so odd. But, like, take us to some comedic relief. She's in her garden and a deer came. And then later, a different deer came, but she thought it was the same deer. Like, What's wrong with that in theater? Nothing. It wasn't, it was just simple. It was light. It was different. It was refreshing. I keep going back to this word like theater can just make us feel things and it doesn't always need to be like heavy, heavy, heavy. And it was just really light. Like, of course, she's in her garden. And what if she started talking to this deer? Like, Disney does it all the time. I don't know. I just thought it was funny and like silly. And well, it wasn't too much. And it was I think, nice. I do think there was a message though with the deer. And the whole point of like, you're gone, you're here one day, you're gone the next. And going to on the little bit of like the coattail of Hamilton, who lives, who dies, who tells your story. And I feel like in here, there was a little bit of like a, who's going to tell her story. And she's Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to tell my story myself. So instead of waiting for someone later down the road, finding out all of this information about her and then saying, oh, let's tell her story and have inaccurate um conversations around it so this is more of a way to say hey i'm gonna tell it myself you know totally and And let's go yeah i was gonna say let's go into a little bit of the direction of this piece graciela danielle directs and choreographed this piece adds her personal touch to it i want to talk about this for a second this was we are you and i have been seeing a lot of theater lately like a lot 
Mm-hmm. And we've been really big on the directorial eye. We have seen shows as recently as last year where no joke, the lights go out and we watch a crew move scenery while a song is playing and the lights come up again. I'm not going to mention what show. If you listen back enough on some of our podcasts, you'll figure out which one. <laughs> and that is what a Broadway director is putting their name on. When I see the direction of Gardens of Anuncia, I say to myself, that is how you direct people in a play and a musical. Mm-hmm. All the sp- not to check boxes, but all of the spaces used so well. I loved the entrances and exits through those hanging beads. I loved the scenic design. It was mysterious. It was romantic. It was edgy. It was dark. It was tragic. It was comedic. Everything about it. The way people came in and out of this garden. How I felt like I was in the garden with her. The different angles. I don't know if you noticed there were times where like, Different sides of the audience were played. That's what you're supposed to do in a thrust space. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to say, okay, we don't need the full frontal all the time. You need the side, looking to the side, showing the different audience, the entrances and exits, immersion. That doesn't need to be sit on my lap immersion. It's just entrance and exits through different spaces. Beautifully done. There wasn't a ton of choreo. There was some and I liked it. But this is a really well-directed piece of theater in 2023, I think. Well, I think as well, because I feel like for someone who's so seasoned in the industry, she has seen so much. She has seen so much work out there. She has been part of different things. She has choreographed so much for the fact that she she could put her directorial name on something as well. So not only this being her story, but also directing it and choreographing it is great. But I agree it was completely thought out in a way of the gardens of Anuncia. Great, great title for the show as well. It's intriguing. The artwork is beautiful. I love that Lincoln center artwork sometimes. And this one hit the nail on the head. Cause you know, we've talked about this in the past where I didn't like some of it, yeah. but I also love being in that theater and seeing the past artwork because there are so many great. And that artist is just, I forget his name, um, but it, it's great. And yeah, yeah. To then go into this, and like you said, to see this visioned garden, and when you see this set and this lighting design, and you're like, wow, I really do feel like I'm in the garden. And then you kind of learn more about the story about how she's in her garden, she's remembering things, and everything is woven into that garden. There were such beautiful moments, director moments, that I said, wow, like, having a, a character run behind the beaded curtains at times to give you context. And it's just so subtle. It just worked. And we didn't need large planted pots and trees and flowers on stage. We didn't need that. And someone no. could have taken this piece and said, let's put all these flowers in the ground. No. Yeah. She was sitting on a bench. It almost looked like we were, and no disrespect to budget or Lincoln Center or the design, almost looked like we were watching a low budget production used to the heightened max of lighting and spatial awareness and orchestral reveal up on top during a tango number. And just immersion at its finest. It's what I think we see stripped down set pieces and Broadway shows and off Broadway shows. And we're like, whoa, they didn't even use the space. Like, what are we watching here? And this was something where like the space was used and we didn't need the bells and whistles yeah. of, a, of the set. And, and, and so that's how I feel about that. For sure. I was one of the strongest off Broadway directed pieces I have seen in a very long time. Yeah. I guess my only feedback on it was I probably was expecting a little bit more choreo because we got some great taste of it, but I feel like I just wanted like one big like number. Mm. 
Yeah, not yeah, that yeah. it was a big cast because it wasn't, but right. just like one big number of like showcasing what she really did. Right, and that's okay. Of course, you know. No, th- if that's my only bad feedback right. for the show, well, then you nail on the head because it's great. And let, let's drift into another section of the of the show here, which is the orchestrations and the music. The music, undoubtedly, for me, is one of the highlights of the whole show. It's exciting to hear a cast recording is in the works for this, for sure. Let's delve into these orchestrations and their impact on the overall atmosphere of the show. We'll be right back. Let's jump back into things. Michael John Lacusa has written a lot of off-Broadway shows. His Wild Party did make it to Broadway. I am very impressed with this score. Mm-hmm. I really loved it. Do I think the lyrics were weaker than the music? Yes. I did feel like some of the lyrics were a little like, listen to the music, like a little cheesy, corny, surfacey compared to the beauty of the orchestration and the music itself. So I wish the lyrics matched that a little bit more. But it was a strong new work that didn't rely on jukebox sounds, that didn't rely on anything else but an original score. And one more thing I will say, the orchestrator on this project is Michael Starbin. The music director is Deborah Abramson. You, it is very, very, very clear that a composer, an orchestrator, and a music director worked together well to put a co- correctly done musical on stage. Because I think there was seven, eight, nine people in that pit, and I would have thought it was a 20-piece orchestra. And when you say that, you know it's orchestrated well. Because I have seen many stripped-down Broadway and off-Broadway musicals with five, six, seven people in it, and it sounds like a tin can. And it sound, when we saw the Funny Girl revival, and I thought the weakest part of that was the orchestration. That was so stripped down. Maybe for budget, but then you have to reorchestrate. And this was orchestrated so well that I was said, oh my gosh, is this like a 50-piece orchestra right now? And when it was revealed and you saw a few people, I said, these are pros working at the orchestration and to be an orchestrator and make it sound full and lush like that, it kind of mimics what was going on stage. A full garden with no flowers, a full orchestration with no full orchestra. That is theater. That is well done, correct theater that's what I studied in my whole life. That's what I do. That's what I observe. And that's what I comment on now in this podcast. And that was my highlight to me was these orchestrations. Stunning, stunning, stunning work. 100%. The orchestrations take this show to the next level. Because if it had bad orchestrations, I don't know if we would be saying the same thing. Because it kind of would have made everything else kind of trickle down into, mm, it was okay. And mm, that was okay. But yes, the words, I think, were simple for many reasons. Uh, could they have been better? Sure. But I will say something. We talk about this in theater and pop music, and we always say to ourselves, why are some things remembered and some things aren't? And I'm going to say something to you. You already have been humming like three songs from this show. Yeah, I remember this score, which I don't always say of new works lately. So for that, I, I, it's another thing that I'm saying, okay, maybe the lyrics weren't in depth, but they're catchy. They're catchy enough for you to remember it. And if it's doing that, that's a, a 100% why they're going to be doing a cast recording of this. And, you know, maybe people are going to do this show around the world after this, because who knows what the, uh, the next steps are for it. But when you think of some of the last shows that we've seen on Broadway and we leave there and and we say to ourselves, oh, 
I can't tell you a single song from that show. That's like, what? But then a show like this, where you're not expecting to leave it, and you do, that's very telling. And I do agree with you as well. Being in this off-Broadway space and knowing the size of it, what you have to play to and whatnot, I think that's where they the orchestra connects with the audience there. Having the right amount of musicians up on that stage and then you being there and thinking, yeah, is that a 20-person piece orchestra? Or, or no, it's only seven, but it works because of the size. Right. You know? And, and, and I will say something. This kind of goes into wrapping up here a little bit. New works and new musicals. I think some of the new works, new musicals come from the off-Broadway spaces, come from the off-off-Broadway. It doesn't necessarily mean oh, the commercial big show that did the out-of-town now goes to Broadway. These smaller spaces are gems. Mm-hmm. I'm Wonderful things are happening in the small spaces. Could this grow? Sure, but it could also stay. And it could be done other places or it could just close and be and live on in a cast recording. But yeah, we listen to new musical. I'm just, I'm a, I've always been a fan of like Michael John LeFacuse's scores. I think they're beautiful. And this is just another, I was happy to hear a live one. I've never heard his music live. I listen to the wild party often, but, uh, and, and just y'all know there's multiple wild parties. I'm talking about the Broadway one, Michael John Lucusa, but yeah, this was nice. I think it's nice to see new works. It's nice to see new musicals. It's nice to see Lincoln center doing the classics and then supporting the new works as well. I think Lincoln center does it right. Most of the time. I totally. And we've been spending a lot of time at Lincoln yeah, Center. I think Lincoln Center so, is amazing. I just, there's, you got the classic, classic classics and you get the new works too. I think that's a wonderful use of their beautiful spaces. Yeah. And I feel like just to like touch on a little bit here towards the end of new works and new musicals in general, I feel like we kind of always wrap up our episodes a little bit kind of on what do we think the future of new works are. And I'm kind of liking this off-Broadway space on newer, smaller works that maybe don't need to go to Broadway. And think about that. Like, why does everything need to have the Broadway-aimed eye? Why can't it just have the off-Broadway-aimed eye? And we hold off-Broadway to a creative standard still that people are going to because let me say something this past fall we have seen and heard of a lot of things happening off broadway we have here we are steven sondheim we have danny in the deep blue sea which aubrey plaza starring in we saw marry me downtown that lee silverman directed we have now this at lincoln center we saw dracula at new world stages there's so much happening and they're getting like that bigger buzz outside of the traditional off-Broadway space. So one, maybe this is something that's going to continue to happen. But two, like, I don't think everything has to go to Broadway. And it's not just the lush, beautiful things. It could be the campy, comedic things too. Little Shop of Horrors does best off-Broadway. It did have a commercial run in the early 2000s, but it's it's had its longest runs in the 80s and it's had its longest run off-Broadway currently. Let's also talk about Titanic. Titanic may not be meant for a big Broadway house. It could. I mean, I could instantly see it going if they wanted to, but it works in the space where maybe that just sits and works. And I always say new artists, new playwrights, new producers and directors, people who really know theater in New York, I always say they know where to put the show. If you know where to put the show and it lasts there, you know what you're doing in the New York space. 
Yeah. Don't force but a square do, peg into a round hole. Right, but I do think that there are some things that are moving to the Broadway space just to say that they've moved to the Broadway space and maybe they shouldn't be there. Because we've become a society obsessed with saying Broadway. You've made it to Broadway. Are you on Broadway? Do you know how many actors, directors, performers never make it on Broadway but are like wildly successful in regional theater, in off-Broadway, and off-off-Broadway, in international theater, in musicals and plays and operas? They don't ever make it to Broadway. But sometimes our society is so obsessed with, oh, you've done eight Broadway shows. Oh, you've done one. Sometimes, and there's nothing wrong with saying that you've done eight Broadway shows, but we are just a society that becomes infatuated with the word Broadway. And there's okay. nothing wrong with that in some way, but. Wait, guess what? Off Broadway still has the word Broadway in sure, it. Sure, sure. It's just the matter of sea capacity. Yeah. And Literally. it's so funny that when you. Sea capacity and street location. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how, like, we. we, we talk about this whole industry around a literal name of a street <laughs> well what Lon- london bases it all on the west end which is an area you know we kind of base theater districts on districts of where they are located to you know right but again it goes back to the fact that there's so much out there for people to see and they don't need to continue seeing the blockbuster broadway musical all the time just because that's all they know mm-hmm. there's so much more out there mm-hmm. yeah so um, here we go. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, that's oh, time is already up and that does wrap up our discussion on this episode. But let's give our overall thoughts really quick, Jeff. Yes. Our quick, quick one, two, three thoughts on the Gardens of Anunnia off Broadway. This is a great story for you to check out. It's a warm family story that goes into the history of someone's past, Graziel, Danielle. And it was beautiful with beautiful orchestrations, beautiful acting moments. And it's something like if you're looking for something different to go see off Broadway, it's great. And it's at Lincoln Center, the beautiful Lincoln Center. Hello. Mm. Refreshing, light, simple, charming. It's a feel good piece that doesn't beat me over the head with any message other than just love, family, perseverance, acceptance. And thank you, thankful to the people, the names that are in this, that are coming to do this yeah. and telling this amazing woman's story. Really, really nice. And I really liked it. And I, I hope I see more of this off Broadway for sure. Agreed. So, that wraps up our episode today. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the gardens of Anuncia. Don't forget, we want to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us on Instagram and TikTok at Half Hour Podcast. And let us know your thoughts on the gardens of Anuncia and any other Broadway or off-Broadway show that you want to discuss with us. If you enjoyed our show, please leave us a review. Your feedback helps us bring more Broadway to you. And remember, you can listen to past episodes and stay tuned for upcoming ones as well. Until next time, I'm Jeff. And I'm Richie saying ta-ta. Ha-ha, <laughs> bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.